welcome to This Movie is Gay, a podcast that uses a complex mathematical system for determining the gayness of movies that has not been altered in any way since the 18th century. Mm. I'm Haley. I'm Emma. Um, and <laughs> today we're talking about a movie set in the most important state in the entire United States of America. I, of course, mean Nevada. Uh, it's... The, I mean, the movie is Ocean's Eleven. The date is <laughs> November the 3rd, part five. November the 3rd. When you said complex mathematical system, I was like, the Electoral <laughs> College of Gayness? That's what? what this, that's what this podcast is. Yeah, um, that's right. Little did you know. Yeah. I'm an Oregon voter. I may as well not exist. And <laughs> I'm here to talk about a movie about gay con men. Because that's all we can do to save the thin dangling thread of our sanity here on day five. And uh, yeah, that's what we're playing. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah, I feel like I just, I mean, this is going to be a very topical podcast, largely because, um, <laughs> like I said, it's election day, day five. Day five. Day five or day six now? Oh, day five, day five. Day it's five also still. it's also therefore my birthday, day five. Which is nice. Uh, We're doing is, this for you. Thank you so much. But that is relevant to what I the disclaimer I feel I need to give, which is that you mm. fled to the woods for your birthday as well as you did. should. I and did I uh, did not have the emotional fortitude to make an outline for this episode. Correct. So that's just where we're at. <laughs> this is going to be some off the cuff shit. Yeah. Um, so, which is why we've chosen a movie that both of us love very much mm. um, and have seen many times, the 2001 Steven Soderbergh film, Ocean's Eleven, mm -hmm. um, starring just truly- Everyone alive. Yeah, everyone on earth. Um, yeah. George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Bernie Mac, Matt Damon, Don Cheadle committing a war crime with his terrible, the worst Cockney accent. Every time I see died. it, it's worse than I remembered. It Every time I'm like, how? It's just also um, uh, Casey Affleck, the younger brother of Ben. Is he there? He's one of the twins. Oh, he is one of the twins, Casey. Yeah, before he was in the long period before he was famous. Yeah. Yeah. 2001. This was older than I remembered even looking back. I was like, oh, hey, everybody in the prime of your career many years ago in a different time. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was a good time. It's and it feels there's a line where we both lost it, where Julia Roberts goes, I don't have a cell phone. And oh, my God, that was when the datedness of this movie just came crashing like a ton me. of bricks. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's a true period piece because the clothes it don't really stand out as being super like. Mostly because the the snappiest dresser of the film, Brad Pitt, would wear any of that now. Yeah. <laughs> so Brad Pitt has remained stylistically uh, stellar and unchanged for decades. I, I guess 2001 also is that 90s cusp where like all yeah. of those looks are coming, all the 90s looks are coming back in anyway. So we're back yeah. to like, oh, these look good. And also, frankly, there are so few women in the movie that like menswear also doesn't change. Like yeah. it suits. It's George Clooney in a suit. It's true. There is this one scene where Andy Garcia, who's also in this movie, is like walking right. down the hall and he's got these really baggy suit pants. <laughs> and I was like, that's not a look anymore. And also, like, you really had like fitting bottoms. That's true. You also had like a 20 minute conniption trying to figure <laughs> out whether he was wearing a sweater vest. <laughs> Listen, 
I'm I am in a I'm in a difficult place emotionally. This is right where now. we were emotionally yesterday. Is that Haley was like, no, but really, is that a sweater vest? And it I was just, like, have we established there are no sleeves? It doesn't suit. It wouldn't have suited his character. No, it was weird. It looked up close, like you could see a little bit of the shirt underneath it. It looked like a fencing vest. You know it what did. I mean? The well, way yeah, that it sort of hovers. It looked like it was made of like waistcoat material, but it didn't yes. have a front seam. Mm, very peculiar garment. Yeah. Anyway, Ocean's I- Eleven, a film about, you guessed it, Eleven con men led by Danny Ocean, George Clooney, who is a name. recently released convict for again being a con man who sort of has to get the crew together to pull you know sort of one last job one last job energy is big yeah yeah and so they sort of gather together this motley crew they go to las vegas attempting to be the only people to ever rob a las vegas casino and it transpires that George Clooney has a little bit more of a personal stake in this mission than he initially revealed when we find out that his ex-wife is now with the Terry Benedict, the evil owner of this <laughs> chain of casinos that they're trying to rob. Um, sort of complications ensue as it's a question, kind of, of, you know, is he too emotionally invested to pull out this job? Frankly, that gets resolved within like 15 seconds. It doesn't matter. The real sort of pleasure of this movie is watching them make a plan and watching the plan work. It's Which really a weirdly conflict-free genre. It actually is. Having you boil it down right there, is it, I'd like, I mean, hey, considering the incredibly fragile emotional place that we're all in, even just you saying the sentence, it's about like concocting a plan and watching the plan work, like broke something deep inside me. I was like, I just want to watch the plan work. Man. Really? I mean, I, I just had that exact same realization at the exact same moment. It's a, it's a genre Simple. that is about reveling in competence. It's about watching people who are really good at the thing they do can act, can like repair flaws in the plan on the fly because they're so good at what they do right and, and flawless collaboration flawless collaboration yeah. is like the staple of con movies it's just like these people all working together toward their common goal perfectly yeah committed and, to saving each other Done. and everything that seems like it's going to be a sort of like job ending disaster oh it always turns out either it was something they planned for or it's something that they can resolve with their competence and brilliance. Oh, we love I, it. We love I, I was love not prepared it. for the like a deep psychological like tell that watching this movie this week was going to be. Reveals about us, yeah. Well, I found it deeply sort of palliative yesterday. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> Just some really uncomplicated casino robbing from 2001. It really was striking to me how little any of the things that get raised as conflicts over the course of the movie actually mm-hmm. matter. Like there's literally yeah. a scene where Don Cheadle's character like busts in. He's because they like one part of the plan is like they have to knock out the power in the entire city of oh, yeah. Las Vegas. And he like comes busting in with this horrible Cockney accent. It's like they fucked it up because they're fixing the flaw in the system that I right. was going to exploit. Oh wait, I have a solution. Like it's yeah, it's like immediate the same conversation. <laughs> He's like, oh, never mind. Actually, it's okay. Yeah, like it, within the sentence. Also, like something that I thought about a lot, which was weird. You know how I I am obsessed with soundtrack, and I notice it constantly. The thing about the tension, any of the situations that create tension in Ocean's Eleven, continue to have this really like peppy, smooth jazz underneath them. Yeah. And it's just sort of like there's never any actual suspense because the soundtrack never tells you there's any suspense. 
Yeah, that's You know true. what I mean? It's just kind of like everything is actually really chill, even when the Chinese acrobat guy who is coming out of the safe gets his like bandage stuck in the thing right as they're supposed to explode the door. And it's just George Clooney and um, Matt Damon outside the door being like, oh, the explosive thing isn't working. It's crazy. Did you put in the batteries? Yeah. I was like, oh, I got to change the batteries. Like, and like jauntily changing the batteries in the explosive device while <laughs> the dude is freeing himself. And then as soon as he's free, it explodes. Like this, there's no actual tension in that scenario because the music is like, jazz in the background just like quietly bopping along and you're like this man's not gonna die (laughs) yeah oh it's it's a a deeply cathartic genre for this it is it is um so we've gotten this far without actually mentioning what makes this movie gay um which is the relationship between danny ocean george clooney and rusty brad pitt his right hand man kind of co-head of this ragtag band of criminals. Mm. And I think the sort of question that we were pondering is, because we've sort of talked about a con movie before when we talked about Through into El Dorado. And we're back here again. And sort of interested, I think, in sort of both talking about this movie, which much like kind of our first effort Newsies is really a lot about the vibe so yes. on some level, it's like, just go watch the movie. It's just about them vibing. Just vibing. Also, is there sort of a bigger thing about con movies, which is a mm-hmm. question we started to address in El Dorado. And I think we yeah. sort of return to it now in like a much purer example of the genre. <laughs> it is pure, unadulterated con movie. <laughs> yeah. It's really the opposite of The Road to El Dorado where like the thing with them is like everything goes wrong and they're bad yeah. at their jobs. That's <laughs> true actually. The whole sort of joke of El Dorado and their relationship is built on how we get out of bad situations together because we, we are constantly failing. Yeah, whereas like the Ocean's Eleven is like, how is every apparently bad situation actually under control? Because it, under control, it. yeah, and gonna turn out for our good because yeah. one of us has got it, yeah. Every time we're like, oh no, like here comes Julia Roberts, she's seen Brad Pitt, he's just like, oh hey, yeah, we knew. This Hi. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so Rusty and Danny. Man. Where do we begin? I mean, I guess we begin with their first scene, which is sort of the, the very first thing that Danny does when he is released from prison is breaks parole to go find Rusty. Of course. Because that's what you do when you get out of prison. You break parole to find your boyfriend. You have to. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, this is a specific uh, Rusty Danny thing, but I think this is also par for the course of con movies to, like, like extrapolate it out. The thing of intense intimacy that is clearly based on an incredibly elaborate history that the movie never bothers to explain. Yeah, which is like a recurring theme. We actually haven't talked about it in a while, but like mm. it was, it's been a recurring theme on the podcast overall, yeah. that like movies that can skillfully hint at like, mm, that's there's true. more to this relationship than we're revealing in this movie. We talked about it a lot with Master and Commander, which is not a con movie, but it is a, a working partnership movie, which mm-hmm. this also is. It's about a work marriage. And also Sherlock Holmes, of course. And also Sherlock Holmes, which is about a work marriage. So yeah, yeah it's like deep, deep backstory that the movie relies on as like a plot engine and like a source of intimacy, but it is never explained. We never find out where Rusty and Danny met or like how they were whatever, but like they speak essentially like a coded language that no one else speaks. It's extraordinary. Which is sort of what happens in their first scene together where Danny goes to 
Los Angeles and finds that like right. Rusty in the like, what is it? Five years that Danny's been in prison or something. Five years, yeah. Is now teaching poker to stupid celebrities. And <laughs> sort of Rusty like goes to get a drink and like comes back to his like secret back poker room and like Danny's just suddenly there. And they have this whole scene where like they basically con these dumb celebrities out of their money by pretending to be at odds with each other. Yeah. But- and it's sort of a perfect example of like, they're sort of clearly speaking in this coded language. We as the viewers aren't sure kind of mm -hmm. what the tenor of their relationship is because we haven't met them yet. We see them sort right. of exchanging very intense glances across the table and we're, but it's not totally clear whether this is like animosity or friendship mm -hmm. until the end of the game right. when Rusty has, by giving the movie stars what we quickly learned is intentionally bad advice caused them to lose all their money to Danny and then right. him and Danny sort of leave obviously together. split it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then only then are we like okay they just pulled a con together before our eyes and even we the viewer didn't know that's what was happening without even with without ever conferring without ever speaking they just immediately lock into like this weird pattern and also like yes it's about a vibe and the vibe is straight up eye fucking like <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that was so for the listener that was so close to a spit take on Haley's part that's really my my meta goal for this podcast is to get Haley to spit out a drink at some point but yeah they're literally just like they're fucking each other across the table it is one of the funniest tense scenes it's yeah it's it's great but again Amazing. I mean it's sort of like we become it's really sort of good screenwriting and directing because it's like we become sort of the victims of the con as well yeah we're the only time in the movie in the sense that like all we can sense is tension. Mm. Know is that Danny has been in prison. That's true. We know that these two used to be partners, but we still have no idea sort of what the circumstances of their like kind of parting was. So for all yeah. we know, this is kind of building to like- A confrontation or something. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> no, it's really not. Well, and also the, um, the, the dialogue of the moment as well, while they're sort of making tense eye contact over their hands and like, you know, what we later figure out was them conning the stupid movie stars. What's that line where like one of the dumb kids says something dumb and Brad says, um, the first lesson in poker is leave emotion at the door. Yeah. And then him and Danny make weird eye contact. And then he says a bunch of other weird crap. It's a, it's just like, well, he does a sort of Sherlock Holmes style reading of Danny. Mm, He's sort yes. of an analyzing all of his moves out loud, supposedly for yeah. the benefit of the movie stars. He's like, oh, he's putting in all this money early. I think he's bluffing. Right. Like, and sort of narrates what he guesses Danny is thinking and what right. he is going to do in response and why. Yeah. Which is part of like the con, like again, like right. this is sort of us being in on the con is we're sort of like, is he intentionally sort of like trying to humiliate Danny and sort of like mm -hmm. dress him down in front of these guys. Right. Cause that's, yeah. You're like, are you actually embarrassing him or are you, is this something else? It turns mm -hmm. out it's something else. Turns out it's something else. And what's funny to me is like, that's the longest, I mean, to the extent that they're talking to each other, which they aren't really, it's sort of right. like the longest conversations they have because for most of the movie, they don't actually need to speak to each other. No, much. no. I mean, one of the great scenes I think is that conversation they have later when something is going wrong. And I say conversation, but it's the two of them at a bar and George is just like, it's so it's that, it's staring at a TV. He's watching yeah. TV, like staring off screen. They're not like, even looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. Brad Pitt is just staring off of the frame. And then Clooney is like, 
it's not gonna like yeah right he's like we need another guy or it's like at first he's like okay so that's it we have we have all we need and then brad says nothing and then he's like oh we need another guy don't we and then brad says nothing and then he's like yeah you're right we need another guy and it's just like he doesn't speak yeah and that's how they communicate they sort of just have these little it's just they're always sort of doing a a bit they're always doing a bit Mm -hmm. which like reminds me again of like the sort of the thing that we said when we watched the road to el dorado which is like the intimacy of the con man relationship is the idea that you two are pulling one over on the rest of the world and like you have a connection that is by necessity Mm. unshared with sort of anyone that you encounter over the course of the movie right interesting when you sort of inject that dynamic into like they're part of a group yeah don't it's not like necessarily a secret right because there's a whole like most of the movie we spend with people who are all sort of in on the same like yeah and yet some y'all go ahead finish your thoughts sorry I was going to interrupt no, I mean, I think I was going to say what you were about to say, which is, and yet we still maintain that sense that the two of them have a connection that is not shared with the rest of the group. Totally. To this, to the degree that like, by the time they go and start recruiting the other members of the group, they are sort of enacting little cons on each of the members of the group that they bring in. You know what I mean? Like they actually pull a con on the, um, you know, the sort of investment guy that they have to go to first, you know what I mean? Of like, right. um, Oh, I love him. Oh my God. Ross and Monica's dad. Yes. Uh, Right. He's such a great actor. Yeah. They, but like, that's actually a con. It's the two of them manipulating him into, you know, joining the venture by like pretending that the, by only revealing at the last second that Benedict, uh, Andy Garcia's character is the one that they're going to con and then he joins after he's already said it's too risky like little stuff like that where it's like seamlessly they pull everybody in one by one and you get the sense that like at the heart of it only Rusty and Danny really know what's going on yeah and there's something as well something that really struck me that I don't think the movie particularly goes on to explore though I think it's relevant to kind of what we were describing about like Mm -hmm. the pleasure of the genre is um when Danny kind of retrieves Rusty from this like poker teacher, you know, <laughs> job. <vibe. laughs> like we get yeah. this, he's making plenty of money. He's like in this bar, but he's clearly depressed. And as they're sort of driving away, Danny's like, you seem bored. And Rusty's like, I am bored. And it's the idea that like, there's an artistry yeah. to their lifestyle. They're not doing yeah. it. And I think that's also the difference between them and our boys in throat El Dorado. It's like they're <laughs> in it for the money. They're just sort of like impoverished and need. They um, live in a barrel. <laughs> they, yeah. They have one set of clothes because they're cartoons. Um, but for them, it's like it's not just about like Rusty doesn't like just, you know, fleecing no. a rich boys at poker. Like they they are in it for a shared sense of appreciation of the art of what they do. Yeah 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 the adventure of it you said something really that has sort of haunted me since the Eldorado episode actually that about how a con part of why cons are gay feeling is that you it's about people who by the essence of their lifestyle live outside of society and that's the thing is it's just like there is is there something essentially queer as like a little ingredient if your entire the whole mechanism of your life is to operate outside of like the bounds of accepted whatever, <laughs> you know, of just kind of like 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question. I yeah. think on two levels, first sort of relating to this idea of like, well, the rest of the crew doesn't feel that way. Yeah. It doesn't feel queer. And then of no. course the plot point that we haven't really addressed that much yeah. is the presence of Julia Roberts, Danny's wife. Yes. Ex-Tess. Tess. Yes. Of, as you pointed out, truly irrelevant presence except for and plot purposes she does nothing not only not a character treated as luggage like yeah there's just like there's they, there's honestly so many moments where literally like I mean frankly we're since we're on the point you know one of the last things that happens at the end which I'm sure we'll get to but it's the moment that just sprang into my mind of like when Rusty and Tess pick him up from prison, Danny walks back to the car and we haven't seen Tess yet, looks into the back and says, Rusty says, I picked up your effects, your personal effects. And Danny <laughs> says, I'm not sure these belong to me. And it's just Tess, a human woman sitting <laughs> yeah. in the back seat, smiling at him. And it's like, that's not your luggage, bro. Well, I mean, and it's sort of the other kind of piece of the take from the con yeah. is Tess. Like it turns yes. out the sort of like B plot because it's like you always have the secret secondary con. Like that's sort of one of the things of the Ocean's Eleven movies, I think in particular, is like there's the yeah. thing they're apparently stealing and then there's the secondary thing that right. they also end up stealing. And right. in this case, it's literally explicitly Tess. Like, it's literally a woman. <laughs> yeah. Sting to get her to see on like a hidden camera, Terry, mm -hmm. her now boyfriend, yeah. basically saying like, I Who would sucks. trade her for the money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what's so weird about that is like, yeah, they go to huge lengths to set up that con and like make sure that she sees it. And the question is Danny being like, if you had to, like, if you could get all the money back and give up Tess, would you? And Terry is like, yes, because the money is $160 million also. And yeah. then she sees You're it and is like, to say no. <laughs> I mean, but then, uh, but then she of course sees it and leaves, but also like, the implication of the storytelling is that Danny would pick her over the money, but I don't know. I mean, I think it kind of goes back to the like artistry of the con thing. Like for yeah. them, it's about the money, but it's also not about yeah. the money. No, it's about winning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's really what they set up kind of immediately when it's the mm. idea. I mean, not, I mean, partly they're doing it. They're doing, they're stealing, they're robbing the casino because they want to screw Terry this guy specifically right. but it's also right. like we have this whole really fun montage of like the closest anyone's ever gotten to like robbing a Las Vegas casino so which fun turns out to be like the number of feet from the door they got because it's never happened right and of course like the thing that I'm not sure I mean we're I, I'm sort of low-key assuming you've all seen Ocean's Eleven but like the, the the thing of the con is that it's not just one casino it's three yeah because all of the money from yeah. the three casinos that Terry owns is in right. one vault. Funneled into this one. Right. Yeah. So like, that's crazy. So the thing, the whole like thing at the beginning when people are like, Danny, you're crazy, is that he's like, we're going to knock over these three casinos and everyone's like, you're out of your fucking mind. And then he's what? like, yep. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and maybe that's the sort of like, maybe the answer to both questions because I think like the other guys in the gang do have an appreciation of the artistry as well yeah. I mean yeah. the ones that we can see anyway but there is a sort of sense that like mm -hmm. Rusty and Danny are on a different level yeah in terms of sort of what they're in this for and what they're kind of the links mm. they're willing to go to like they're the sort of the only two who never kind of have a moment of like oh shit like they're just always 
they're going to go no matter what riding the wave. Like it's just totally about the journey, not the destination, man. man. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And everybody else like literally sort of sweats it at some point. Yeah. Like everybody else. I mean, I feel like both of them weirdly as actors, I Brad for sure, but I think Clooney too. I feel like their sort of gift as humans is like preternatural calm. I feel like they're both like weirdly recognizable for that. I was going to say Brad in particular, like no matter what movie he's in, like even no matter how high the stakes raise, like the Brad Pitt thing is preternatural calm. Like he will not sweat. And I feel like Clooney is sort of similar. And so it's so interesting to have them. Maybe that's also partly why it never feels like there's any true suspense is like the pleasure of watching them succeed is like these two guys are never going to sweat it. Like you don't, they don't process risk in a normal way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I love that. And I guess that feeds into the idea of like, if you're so on the outside of like normal human consequences, like Mm -hmm. if you live a lifestyle where going to prison for five years is an inconvenience. Yeah, but kind of fine. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, "Eh, it's all good. You come out, you got your boyfriend and your wife waiting for you in a convertible. Like, it's all good. Yep, it is all good. It's interesting too, because the movie, uh, opens with that shot of of Clooney Danny Ocean in prison mm-hmm. getting released like it's the last sort of last moment where presumably the parole board are mm-hmm. like they're asking him these questions where they're like so are you likely to like offend again or whatever and he's like yeah you know like he says what he needs to get out of there and then the last question that one of these like unseen parole board people says is what do you think you would do if released and it just like closes in on his face with this weird blank little sort of half smile and then like immediately it's just like and cut to and then he's off to get brad right exactly it's just like smash cut atlantic city you're just like you know he's he's always gonna go back it's a pattern of life that just isn't normal. No, no, it's <laughs> um, not. Yeah, but so I think, yeah, and there's something about, so sort of one of the kind of only moments of apparent tension, mm. which again turns out to be, I mean, and maybe this is it as well, it turns out to be a con that the two of them are doing on the rest of the group, specifically Matt Damon. Yup. They seem to have a falling out and seem to sort of like kick Danny out of the con because he's too sort of emotionally compromised by the presence of Tess. Right. And so it's like, even they are like, they are a con within a con, like whatever's sort of happening with the wider group, there's a sense that like there's things shared between the two of them that nobody Mm -hmm. else kind of is privy to. So maybe in that sense, that's where we get this kind Mm -hmm. of energy that we're talking about of like Mm -hmm. the, the intimacy of having a relationship that is unshared, even amongst other fellow career criminals. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that's a great point. Let me process that because the thing is like, they are the love of the con is shared by the whole team but that's not the end there's more intimacy underpinning it than that because nobody else sort of pierces the heart of the weird dandy rusty thing like yeah you know no one else is and then the, and like we're sort of the sort of character who the sort of like main secondary character is Matt Damon's character right. Linus who's like the son of someone that they have worked with in the past it's the kind of up-and-coming young right. pickpocket um, <laughs> you know you know that famous career path the up-and-coming young pickpocket honestly do, like tag yourselves it's me I do um, love the like implied structure of like their community where it's incredible like, oh, yeah you know my dad doesn't want me like trading on his name I'm just like working my way through the ranks it's like what 
Yeah. What are you totally. doing? What? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Then, yeah. So they sort of trick him into thinking that Danny is leaving the group so that he has to kind of last minute step in to Danny's role, which is kind of revealed to be this like pressure test of like, is he going to be able to kind of handle that? The life. Yeah. 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 Which he does very well. It's very funny. He does um, very well. Yeah. Uh, and so he's kind of the closest to being let into the circle. Mm-hmm. On like an apprenticeship basis. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, but even he is, st- but even that's sort of predicated on like, well, you're not there yet. Yeah. Danny says that, doesn't he? Where he's like, like at first when all he asks Matt Damon to do is walk, is shadow Terry Benedict. Uh, yeah, and then he's like, all- run. that's right. You have to walk before you can run. And then he's like looking all resentful. Yeah. yeah. Then, yeah. Mm. So it's, it's, yeah, there's a sort of closed circle within the circle yeah. that the two of them inhabit. And I think that's where we get a lot of this sort of like, Mm. dynamic of mm. you know I mean it's like it's mom and dad like they're in charge of the group they're <laughs> the parents yeah. of the mom yeah. crew they absolutely are and actually when you said that I was like oh it's sort of the mechanism of the movie like the reason that it's satisfying to watch and like the reveal is so satisfying of like all of the actual wheels within wheels kind of at the end is that it's a closed circle that doesn't include the viewer mm-hmm. like the thing is like we don't know Danny and Rusty know each other so much better than the audience is ever allowed to know either of them that the movie wouldn't work if we did. That's so good. That's so interesting. Thanks. <laughs> that, that just struck me though. It's just that like they know each other. We are not permitted in the circle because if we did, it would blow the plot. We're watching this marriage from the outside as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we're sort of in the wider con circle because we know like the out the exterior plan, but we never know the interior plan until it's already done. Yeah, especially yeah. that I catch. I mean, even I've seen this movie a lot of times, and partly it's just like my bad memory. But like I can, I always try and like remember to be one step ahead so I can pick up the hints. But I even know. having seen that, I always lose track. Me too. Of what's going on? Partly because like it's not actually the most sort of elegantly structured mystery. I mean, it's impenetrable. Yeah, like you, you can't actually work out what they're doing until they explain it, which I think like a better written movie you would be able yes. to. Yeah. Yeah. We were both just like, wait, hold on. What's happening? <laughs> like there were so many different, there are always different moments where it's like, wait, the sequence gets really fucked in my head where I'm like, wait, did that already happen? What, where was the moment where they off screen decided to do that? You know? Yeah. And there's this whole part where it's like, they're building like the, 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 the sort of like heart of the con relies on them having built like a replica of right. the vault so that they can be right. streaming in like fake video that seems right. to be coming from the security cameras. And it's never totally clear when they've switched <laughs> from the actual vault to the video vault and then back to the actual, like there's at least three different staged vaults. Yeah, yeah, literally different try times. and follow it. Yeah, yeah it's it just, just, you have to just sort of like sink into the bath and just release all logic yeah. on that one. And it's great. But again, I think this thing that you're like describing mm-hmm. is actually perfect. It's like mm-hmm. you're, you're a step outside the circle too. Yeah. You know, you're just sort of like watching it unfold. Right. And so the thing is like, yes, Tess exists as this sort of like third wheel, also a piece of luggage slash prize slash written into the bylaws of the con. And also but it's like, mm-hmm. maybe source of jealousy and frustration for Rusty. Because again, that's yes. the sort of source of their supposed argument. Which right, exactly. Turns out not to have been a real argument of is Rusty being like, 
you know, you're going to choose her over us. We can't yeah. trust you because you're too into her. You know, it seems like the classic. Like, he says that, <laughs> isn't it? It doesn't, he say that where like they're in the, in the fake argument in front of everybody where Danny says, it's not your call. And Rusty says, you made it my call when you put her before us. Yes. Which like, obviously we flipped out, but now that I'm piecing through it more slowly, that's them playing a con on everyone, including the viewer based on the sort of road to that's them mocking the road to El Dorado dynamic where one gets jealous about the girl. Yeah. You're so right. Oh my God. I didn't even think of that, but yeah, it's them because that's what con men do. Right. I mean, they're not really con men. They're thieves. Yeah. Because the thing that a con it's like a confidence Mm. man. The thing they do is make you think you're smarter than them. They make you think you understand what they're trying to do. Right. And that's exactly what they're doing in that moment. It's like, Oh, we see you're jealous. Huh? Rusty. Yeah. And it's like, no, nothing no. could come between us. He doesn't give a shit. No, yeah. he knows. Yeah. He, and yeah. this is the whole, I mean, and this is the tension of Tess and Danny's dynamic. The, <laughs> theirs is the true cliche where she's yes. like, you will always choose the con. The work. Me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And by, and then by extension, Rusty, because Rusty. Rusty is his work husband. Yeah. Which is really funny because when she's revealed in the backseat in the last scene, because Danny uh, gets rearrested at the at the end of the movie, because he has broken parole to be in Nevada in the first place. So right. he's like an easy pick off. Like it's not even about the con. It's about breaking yeah. parole. So they're picking him up from prison. And when she's sort of revealed in the backseat, the first thing she says is we need to find Rusty a girl. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Like, she sort of also is like, okay. Yeah. Like Can let's distract him or something because clearly there's no other way to from this. this. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just, and it's so funny because then as they fucking drive off into the sunset, as the movie ended, I was like, how many movies that we've talked about on this fucking podcast have ended with an odd, like triad thruple polycule riding off into the sunset because somebody has like a competitive heterosexual homosexual bond that like can't be broken, but also maybe can exist in a weird shape. Yeah. There's basically. so many. There's so many because There's I mean, so and many. it's sort of like, we didn't watch this movie, but have like, have both seen it in the sequel, mm. which is not as good, but better right. than the three the third one which is abysmal I I haven't seen the third one because you told me not to it's really bad um I mean the second one is bad the third one's really bad Mm. um Tess sort of ends up inevitably joining some con like she joins the group basically she does helps with the con as well it goes really badly Mm. so it is this idea that like okay well (laughs) maybe we can just sort of absorb this into our sort of unorthodox lifestyle right right sidebar I was just, I was just remembering, is that the, is the con, I only saw it once, is the con on Ocean's 12 that she gets involved in her distracting people by playing herself? Yes. She, like, they need to get into a place and they're like, have you ever noticed you look exactly like Julia Roberts? (laughs) Which honestly is so good that when I, I watched it for the first time earlier in like the quarantine and I, I was just, I remember messaging you a bunch because I was just like, who in like the writer's room was just like smoking meth and was just like, you know what would be a great idea? It is so funny. It is really funny. Very and then weird. Like, it gets caught because Bruce Willis playing himself shows up and is like, oh my God, Julia. So then they have to like be Julia Roberts to someone who actually knows Julia Roberts. Oh, it's really, really funny. Really Anyways. Funny. Also, you 100% know that she was like, I'm not doing another one of these movies unless I actually get to do something. Totally. Yeah, I bet it was that because she is literally so superfluous as 
has to be an accessory in Ocean's Eleven. It fully relies on the fact that it's Julia Roberts and she is one of those actors who yeah. looms so large in your mind. You remember yeah. her presence in a movie being much bigger than it actually is. 100%. It's literally just a bunch of like composite shots of her in beautiful earrings walking downstairs. Yeah. And then having like, a couple <laughs> of like cliche, like leave me alone, Danny. Yeah. Yeah. They have a couple of those, like really, I mean, she's so good at doing that obviously, but that whole kind of like, don't touch my hand tense yeah, din- dinner conversations. Don't the one that really makes me, he's like, does he make you laugh Tess? And she goes, well, and oh, never made me cry. It's the best. Oh, it's so <laughs> bad. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. I mean, and this frankly feeds into the other element of the con movie, which is that it is yet another all-male homosocial world. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. In most of the kind of traditional renderings of it anyway, which I feel like- sometimes be like a token girl, but like not in these ones. Not in these ones. And I feel like that's because- Oh, because of that thing that just exists in narrative, because it exists in the world of the fact that women do not traditionally or usually have enough freedom of movement in the world to, to operate outside of its rules without being noticed. Right. Well, I mean, it's, that is the twist of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Right. Which frankly, we could probably also watch. I don't remember it that well. Um, It's weird. Yeah. But it is the idea that like the assumption that of course the token girl isn't in on the con. Right is Faulty. turns out to be what how she cons them right exactly exactly but in one in a movie like oceans 11 which is about like being able to sort of stride into sort of citadels of power mm-hmm. without being noticed like women are always noticed that's the thing isn't it is that i was really struck by um both brad pitt and um casey affleck and other guy who I yes. don't know who he is, the two twins, which is yeah, like, the other they're two the twins. part of the group who are basically like the grunts. They just do random shit. And yeah. over the course of the actual con night, yeah. they, they play, play like, yeah, like four or five, di- they show up in like four or five different outfits and like yeah. are seen by main characters every yeah. time. But the whole idea is like, there's two nondescript white guys. Yeah, Nobody no one will ever notice them. Yeah. And Brad Pitt similarly kind of like is seen mm-hmm. a couple mm-hmm. times but it's always like well he's just a little white guy like it's yeah. whatever but yeah a woman especially like a woman in this like sort of high powered business casino world can't mm-hmm. go unnoticed and yeah. that's literally what they say to there's a scene where brad pitt is coaching matt damon's mm-hmm. character and he's like you want them to like notice you and then instantly forget you as soon as you're gone yeah and like women can't, can't get away that. with that in the same way yeah because yeah. their sort of currency in this world is their sexuality and that's mm-hmm. more memorable mm-hmm. yeah mm. but the result yeah. is they're in this world that by definition I mean for all yeah. these reasons we've just seen women can't enter they're never right. going to be able to have the intimacy they have with one another with a woman because women can't be in on the con right exactly essentially gay <laughs> Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Cause all we ever do is talk about intimacy and the way that like intimacy is structured in stories. And that's, mm-hmm. you've just put your finger on it. Exactly. It's just the thing of like, if the most, if the like engine of your life, like the thing that closest to you in the way that your life runs is this world that no women can enter, then you'll no woman will ever be able to share intimacy with you. That is on the level of your male colleagues. 
Right. Because this is like, always the like, I mean, so in the, in Oceans 13, the like all women remake that they did. Which oh, was right. Disappointing. Or no, Oceans. Eight. 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 Yes, you're right. Eight. Sorry. 13's the third. Oceans eight. Right. Eight. Um, which, I mean, I, I think all the performances are great and the script is horrible. Uh, though the lesbian vibes off Kate Blanchett and Sandra Bullock are off the charts to an extent that we could definitely do an episode about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we probably won't now, but like there's uh, Sarah Paulson is in it as well. And her, she's the one that like, they have to get her back from her normal life and mm. convince her to like come back into the sort of fray. And that's sort of what happens mm. in Ocean's 13, mm. third movie in this series as well. It's like this just moment of like, if you're gonna have that life where you have a partner, you can't yeah. be a con man anymore. Like it right. can't ever be both. And that's always like the conflict of these movies and like always. the conflict of the relationship. It's like, you can't, yeah. you can't have the wife and be a con man on the side. Right. You can right. be your true self. And that's, that's the thing of always, that's why you can always bring them back. Is like your true yeah. self is your con man self. It's not the guy or the girl when you're living in the suburbs with your husband and like, I feel like no. there's a scene where she's like in her garage, Sarah Paulson, and like there's some kids running around and like they're calling her and she's just like, ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just reminded me of that scene or in the getting the gang together in Ocean's Eleven kind of montage series. It's, you know, the one, it's Rusty goes to see Saul, played by that great older actor whose name I forget. Um, Rusty goes to see Saul. Carl Rainier. Carl Rainier. Oh, Carl Rainier. Yeah, he's so good. Um, God, yeah, he's so good. Well, he, Rusty goes to see him and he ends up playing like a pivotal, pivotal role in the con. Like he has to play, you know, he, he has to have like a sort of main, he, yeah, he's like a public facing sort of acting job really of the con while they all kind of move behind him. And he, um, is wonderful and and Rusty takes him to like meets him at a dog racing track because he's retired. That's the first thing we learn is like Saul's out of the game. He Saul's out of the game, and then and then they're like, well, let's try him. And so it's Rusty, not Danny, who goes to see Saul. And there's like there's this great scene where they're like at the dog racing track, and Saul is like, I'm different now. I like am eating vitamins and I'm seeing a nice lady who works at like the underwear counter at Macy's and like counter is what he says that's right and then like he's like no no I literally says I know I'm different now I've changed and then Rusty says guys like us don't change Saul that great moment and what does he say he says they get we get sloppy or we get sloppy or or not but we don't change you know and it's just like yeah, that's the whole thing. That's the thesis. Is, yeah, your true self. I mean, and that's why to sort of sustain the relationship in the second movie. Right. They have to sort of get Julia Roberts in on it because otherwise mm. her role, we we don't believe he's going back to her no. really if she's no. going to continue to be sort of on the outside of this world. Right. That's why it has to be her and Rusty together who come pick him up. Right. Right. And also it's like mostly Rusty. It's like Rusty who can't, who like shows up first and like, mm-hmm. you know, is that like, that's the reunion that has all of the emotional weight. It's almost that thing that we've talked about before where like the emotional payoff is like built and set in the gay relationship. And then the feelings land on the heterosexual relationship where it's sort of like throw it up, pull it down. I don't know. Almost except for like we said, there's never any stakes. Yeah, there's never any stakes. <laughs> so in a way, it's like emotional resolution, which is sort of glossed over and really mm. displaced onto Linus, is 
oh no, we weren't actually fighting. <laughs> this relationship was never at risk, don't worry. Mm. <laughs> actually, you know what I think of as the, emo- you know, the moment, the only moment that really gets me in like the gut in an emotional way in the movie, which is mm-hmm. the one I think of. And again, you know how I'm obsessed with soundtrack. The incredibly long, it's like the whole piece, um, rendition of Claire de Lune that happens at the very end. There's this montage. It's actually weird because I think of it as the emotional payoff of the movie and Danny's not in the scene. Um, it's that long- because he's with Jess. The actual emotional payoff of the movie, I feel like in the way that it's built is that long, beautiful sort of moment of all of the other members of the team, all 10 of them lined up in front of um, the Bellagio fountain. Mm-hmm. I think it is. And uh, this gorgeous rendition of Claire de Lune happens while they're just standing there. And you get a moment on every man's face that is like the culmination of, oh my God, we did it. It's relief and like satisfaction and like, And then the last thing is everybody walks away one by one. It's literally a curtain call. And then the last man at the fountain is Saul having pulled his one last job. Yeah. And now a millionaire like standing at the fountain and like it's it's deeply emotional. And to me, then that suggests that the actual the only the emotional arc is will they pull it off? And then they do. And then deep satisfaction is what the movie wants you to experience. Yeah. We don't care if. Danny gets Tess back partly no. because again we don't fully realize that that is part of the con or it's no. like we only care in the sense that we want the con to succeed yes in all respects we yes. don't really care about them as a couple because no why no who cares no I mean insofar as a mechanism of plot sure yeah. but like a mechanism of character absolutely not no, she's it doesn't she, matter. they've given her nothing we know nothing about her yeah and we know that Danny has his most important emotional relationship. Like he is yeah. not at the beginning of the movie. They're like, why did you commit this crime? And he's like, well, my wife left me. So we're sort of, he's, but then it's like, we quickly realized this is just, he's trying to get out of jail. He wasn't yeah. in an emotional spiral. This is his job. It's his job. And so we're never, he's never sort of framed in the course of the movie as like, oh, he's emotionally bereft no. and sort of doing this work to hide the kind of hole in his heart, which is like, you know, what you sometimes, get. I feel like, like in Inception, which yeah. I think is also sort of a con movie in a mm, way. Yes. Or structured like one. Yeah. You know, it's always like, oh, it's Mal and like this, his, yeah. his wife who he lost is sort of eating yeah. away at him and then in the way of inception because it's dreams like literally manifests in his subconscious to sabotage them and it's like Tessa mm-hmm, manifests right. that way and when it seems like she mm-hmm. has it's a pretense and it's just him and Rusty pulling one over on everyone else like she never feels mm. like his actual emotional motivation in a serious way that matters no getting no, revenge never. on Terry matters more than getting Tess back yes uh, yes absolutely yes yeah, which is interesting. Also I'm still self when it's like yeah. the sort of like and also kind of gay relationship yeah. with a man matters more than the sort of sex relationship with a woman. The sex no, I mean she's. What did I just say? Oh, the sex relationship. The sex relationship. Um, you know the thing. What, when men and women have a thing between the, a sex relationship, that's what that's called, right? We call that a sex relationship. Um, oh, oh my god, our when, brains. When straight oh. people do things, I don't know. Um, anyway, what's that called? Is that a, yeah, that's, uh, wow. That's, that's incredible. 
that's where we are mentally. Mentally. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's like, it just doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And like, again, this is sort of a case of like us taking like the 90s being bad at writing women and like extrapolating mm. it out to yeah. um, deep conclusions about character yeah. sexuality. But like, what else is this podcast for? <laughs> what else? is there to do <laughs> if <laughs> if not if not that if not that uh, yeah um i forget what you're saying before i was thinking about sex relationships but, uh... I I, it actually wiped my brain clean <laughs> like a fucking cloth on a dry erase board i am blank now <laughs> after that gone um, um, what we were saying was that oh i don't know the nemesis relationship they did it, like, oh, it's yeah. actually dairy it matters more than yeah. Terry matters more than Tess. Also, they have like eleven more scenes together than yeah. he has. With and there's always those really fraught villain scenes where like yeah, there's are. just this like I mean it's what you think his first scene with um Rusty is yeah going is to gonna be, be right where you're like is this tension hatred and then right like, like no it's BFF ship no yeah it's uh <laughs> sex tension it's, it's, it's sex relationship uh, <laughs> sex relationship tension um I'm just remembering I'm just remembering that um the the first dialogue that that Brad and um that Rusty and Danny have after they reveal that that tension is not animosity tension like when it cuts to them after the game the first thing that Brad says is did you get the cookies I sent you <laughs> like in prison. in prison and then of course immediately Danny like st- starts to unspool his scheme or whatever and then I feel like it might be in that scene or it might be one later where Brad says I need a reason don't say money <laughs> <laughs> which I feel like is sort of I don't know that just reminds That's me of what the- you we're getting at before of like it's not just about the money yeah, it's yeah. they don't care about the money. They're clearly more than capable <laughs> of running petty cons and like yeah. earning a living. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking about Road to El Dorado again, and I'm thinking about the fact that this all this talk that we've had today about love of the lifestyle and like love of the artistry. What's actually interesting is that the tension in the relationship in Road to El Dorado starts like on like we talked about in that episode on one half it's the girl but on the other half perhaps the more significant source of tension is that one of them might want to leave the life behind yeah like one of them might not want to stay in the game because he's found something he likes more and that's the actual tension whereas with Danny and Rusty that's never at risk because they're never going neither of them is in any danger of leaving the game at any time that will literally never happen yes. it'll never happen it is yes. funny because you do kind of get the distinct I mean you you know, Tess says, yeah. like, I broke up with you because you're a thief and a liar. Yeah. And a liar. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, she gets back with him, even though there's no indication no. that that has changed or ever will change. No, it never will. It never will. Yeah. It's funny. Mm-hmm. I, w- early in quarantine, I watched all three movies in a row because uh, that was the frame of mind I was in. And Indeed. the second movie literally opens with Brad Pitt having sex with a woman. It's like... Just to really like, reestablish. That got really gay. Let's really quick make sure it's clear that Rusty is also a heterosexual. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting because it does feel very pointed. I watched it too for the first time, Ocean's 12, earlier in quarantine, and it feels very pointed. So much so. I was like, yeah. I laughed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, Rusty likes the the women. Women. And you're like, does he? Yeah. Are you okay? Are you sure? (laughs) If you say so. (laughs) Okay. And then his sort of like much, very poorly drawn kind of like Mm. 
past flame is the oh, sort yeah. of running theme of that movie i forgot no, about her yeah it's Catherine zeta jones oh yeah of course both is. her and um julia roberts clearly refused to appear in the third movie <laughs> come up some reason why they're not there they're i not. haven't what happens in the third one i mean that's a whole sidebar but like neither of them women are there no it's like i can't really remember because it's dumb it's like there's some thief played by that one french actor who's in everything mm. oh yeah oh no wait that's the second that's one. the he second shows one up too. it's well it's basically like all of their old it's like they have to team up with him and with terry oh. because al pacino no oh. they sort of rehash the casino thing and like al pacino is like the skeezy casino owner who they're gonna oh. sort of like rob Wild. and they kind of have to team up with like all of these people they've worked with in the past which is how they get up to 13 oh okay group got um, it and they oh, are sort of it. there's this moment where it's like where's tess and what's her name and they're like it's not their it's not their fight or something and you're what like the they, they didn't want to have to just stand around in cocktail dresses for this whole movie and do nothing <laughs> julia roberts was like no thanks i'm, I'm good yeah i'm out the game she's like nah i don't have time for that um yeah it's really stupid and bad but kind of in a way it drives home the point that like it they're always getting pulled back in and it's harder and harder to make the women seem relevant when it's so abundantly clear that they will never ever choose that lifestyle yeah 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 no mm, that's fascinating I mean, it's just gay it's gay it's gay cons are gay cons are gay mm-hmm. and I mean we sort of have to, we haven't gone into that much detail about the movie because I think as we sort of said early on it's basically just competence porn like their dynamic is super consistent throughout the entire movie it just sort of is what it is and we just watch them be good at things love it hours yeah that helps that's That's what we need in these times it's what we need in these times and in a way that's gay too no it's not I just wanted to say the tagline. That's just how we end episodes. And so I felt the need to somehow say it there. It but. is. It is. No, it is. It is. It is gay. Also, what was that thing that I said yesterday that was like, oh, yeah, because I was thinking about I was trying to go through my brain if there is ever any actual convincing intimacy between Danny and Tess. And then it was that moment when they get to that, like, there's a tender cheek kiss. But oh, then yeah. later it's revealed that that's part of the con because he's slipping the cell phone she doesn't have into her pocket, right. which is the thing of if you only kiss the girl to plant a part of the con in her coat, that's gay. It's gay. It's just all gay. Cons are mm-hmm. gay. Cons are gay. If your best friend picks you up from prison, that's gay. Yeah. It's all and that's gay. that. And that's that. If you want to listen to the much-referenced other gay con movie that we <laughs> watched, Throw to El Dorado, you can find it on the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, Anchor. Take your pick. And you can also subscribe there. You could leave a review. You could leave a rating. That'll take up 30 seconds when you're not scrolling through Twitter or CNN.com. So my God, do it. And you could even go over to Instagram and find us there. Yes, you absolutely can at this movie is gay podcast. 538 doesn't have an Instagram. So while you're there, you won't be refreshing (laughs) for election results. It's Uh, trying to help you. Um, Hopefully by the time we talk to you next week, We'll know who the president of the United States is going to be. And we'll also have some more gay shit just for you.
but Thank until you then <laughs> here you go here you go have a great day bye <gasps> ah! Ah! literally my brain is melting